You're listening to a sermon on the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Hang around after the message for more information about Mission Ridge Church. Sermon notes for this message or any of our other messages can be found through our website, missionridge.church. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoy. Well, we are week eight of nine of our Family Feud series, and, and this is keeps getting better and better. What, what God is, is telling us through his scriptures is so cool and, and, and so practical, and, and our families need these kinds of conversations. Uh, Rabbi David Foreman says that he can teach the entire Tanakh, everything in the scriptures, and what they mean through Genesis. Logan shared that with me this morning. I think that was uh, worth uh, repeating. This is a redemption story. This is a reconciliation story. This is about God resolving the conflict that we see within our families and putting families back together. And, and that's really his desire is to put families back together. And if we will just do our part, if we'll pay attention to our part, and trust that God is always doing his part and that God can work through that person, whether or not you're there to see it or not. And, 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 and pursue the things that God calls us to pursue. We ended last week with the brothers finally reconciling after 22 years. Uh, we're two years into the famine and the brothers have to go back. They, they tell their dad, Israel, that, that, his son, Joseph, is still alive. And, and he, it's shocking. It's shocking news. His son's been dead for 22 years. Um, what does this mean? But he sees, he sees the wagons and somehow seeing the wagons and, and, and even the, the, the rabbis, uh, they, they have some strange theories on, on what that's about. But they've been wrestling with the same question. Like, why did he stare at the wagons and go, oh, yeah, it's true. <laughs> Great conversation, great, great question. I think God leaves some things in the scriptures for us to just scratch our head and, and stare at a little bit and, or stare at a long time and, and never come to an answer. And he smiles in heaven because of it. But uh, that seems to be one of those things. And so uh, we come to this week, Genesis 46. So Israel set out with all that he had and came to Beersheba, and offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. Now that's, that's such a strange way to say that. Why is he offering sacrifice to the God of his father? Why is it not firmly his God? You know, my, my parents have passed five years for my mom, six years for my dad. Um, Yes, he's their God, but that's not how I want people to refer to him. He's my God. He's my God. God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. He said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt for I will make you a great nation there. You can, you can go ahead and go. You, I, I've told your, your father and I told your grandfather to not go down. 
but I'm telling you, it's okay for you to go down. I will go down with you to Egypt and I also surely bring you up again and Joseph will close your eyes. And Joseph will close your eyes. Now, I do love it the, the fact that Israel, that Jacob stops to worship. He takes time. He goes to Beersheba, which, which uh, both his father and grandfather have connection to. Maybe he remembers that spot from his childhood. Uh, this is where uh, his father finally got some rest uh, from all the conflict that he faced. And so maybe, maybe there's that connection. Uh, I kind of think of my uncle, Larry, that uh, I've talked about a number of times. And, and I told you guys how my, my uh, aunt prayed for him for most of their marriage, like 50 years she prayed for him. And he, and he came to Christ. We did, his, we did his funeral in the church that he grew up in. And so, you know, his roots mattered. Those experiences as a young boy mattered. And sometimes as parents, we go, man, are our kids ever going to come back to the Lord? But it, it matters. Those roots matter. So he stops and worships and God says, I'm with you. Now, now, most of the rest of Genesis 46 is, a, is the genealogy of, of everyone that goes down to Egypt. And I won't read you all those names because we, we, we gloss over, don't we, when we get to the genealogies. Uh, to us, the genealogies are, are a, a, a made, a minor to a major inconvenience. Like, oh, I got to read this. Uh, to the Hebrew thinker, there's a story behind that genealogy how they tell the genealogy matters. So we'll just tell you that part. Let's drop down to verse 26. All the persons belonging to Jacob who came to Egypt, his direct descendants, not including the wives of Jacob's sons, were 66 persons in all. And the sons of Joseph who were born to him in Egypt were two. All the persons in the house of Jacob who came to Egypt were 70. Didn't know we we're going to be doing a math question this morning, did you? <laughs> this is the author's way to tell you that this family is finally reconciled. There's 70 people there. That's, that's a complete number. And this family is finally wholly reconciled. 20 plus years ago, this family was, was torn apart by... by an egregious sin, honestly. Like we read right past that because we grew up with this story, you know, as kids. Bible story after Bible story after Bible story. I mean, we're talking about federal prison time, right? For the brothers, kidnapping, uh, trafficking. Yeah, yeah. 70, God is, after years, after 20 plus years, God has finally reconciled the whole family. And then we're told that uh, in verse 29, that Joseph prepared his chariot 
and went up to Goshen and meet his father Israel. As soon as he appeared before him, he fell on his neck and wept on his neck a long time. We could read right through that statement and go, wow, what a cool moment. And, and miss the problem in this statement. Anytime Israel, the people of Israel use chariots, it doesn't go well for them. Anytime the people of Israel use chariots, look through your scriptures, it doesn't go well for them. Joseph is using a tool. He's starting to use tools that Egypt uses and Israel does not. We got to pay attention to that. We're also told just, uh, just before this that uh, Israel sent Judah ahead to Joseph. And so um, Judah has become the de facto leader of the brothers. He's not the oldest. Reuben is the oldest. Uh, Logan, as an oldest, keeps wondering what, what's wrong with Reuben. Like, not a, not, not a bad guy. <laughs> Why? But... But Judah's chutzpah and, and, and honestly, his, his spiritual maturity, God seems to use. And, and I, I've thought about this. Like, would I be willing for my brother at this point in my life to be in first place and, and, and I take second place? I'm the oldest. I've always led the way f- for my brother and I. Am I willing to let him lead? By the way, this family, the second born, has always been put in first place. The last will become first and the first will become last. That is a value of this kingdom, right? And uh, Joseph tells his brothers at the end of 46, this is how we're going to deal with Pharaoh. He. He's got his plans. Joseph is, uh, he's a tactician. He knows how to handle Pharaoh. He knows what Pharaoh needs to hear in order to make Pharaoh move. He's very good at his job. Some of you are like that too. You're very good at your job. Like you, you, God's created you. You make plans. You get things done. And when you get done working, people take notice. So we see that in Genesis 46. Genesis 47 is where we're going to spend most of our time. And this is what verse one says. Then Joseph went up or went in and told Pharaoh and said, my father and my brothers and their flocks and their herds and all that they have come out of the land of Canaan. And behold, they're in the land of Goshen. He took five men from among his brothers and presented them to Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh said to his brothers, what is your occupation? So they said to Pharaoh, your servants are shepherds, both we and our fathers. They said to Pharaoh, we have come to sojourn in a land for there is no pasture for your servants flocks for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. Now, therefore, please let your servants live in the land of of Goshen. This was, they're living out Joseph's plan perfectly. 
Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is at your disposal. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Let them live in the land of Goshen. And if you know any capable men among them, then put them in charge of my lost livestock. By the way, Goshen, one of the most fertile places on the planet. Beautiful, beautiful, lush. Then Joseph brought his family and presented him to Pharaoh. Uh, then Joseph brought his father Jacob and presented him to Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Jacob, how many years have you lived? So Jacob said to Pharaoh, the years of my sojourning are 130. Few and unpleasant have been the years of my life. 130 and he says few. <laughs> I'm not sure how long this man wants to live nor have they attained to the years of my fathers lived during the days of their sojourning. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from his presence. That seems awkward. He blesses him twice. He blesses Pharaoh twice. I think we got here a blessing sandwich, but what's right in the middle of that sandwich? Um, a little bit of bitching and moaning, some complaining, um, some woe is me. I, I'm just thinking you don't want, you don't want Abraham on your praise and worship team, right? <laughs> and I'm not, I'm not talking about What? I can't hear you. You're going to have to be clear if you want. <laughs> Redirect me. Um, David, David was r really honest about his circumstances. But, he, but it always turned into praise. You, you go find a, a psalm of David that starts off with mourning more often than not, they, they end with praise. Like he focuses on the problem just long enough to be real about it. And then he moves on to how big his God is. That doesn't seem to be where Jacob is at this point of his life. He, and, and, and this is why this is important. What do people hear from Rob when I'm facing challenging things? What do they hear from me? Do they notice how big my God is? Or do they hear more about how big my problems are? What's that like for you? Do, you? do your friends, do your coworkers, do your neighbors, your acquaintances, as you share what's going on in your life? You know, Dave asked me almost every week, did you go to the ER this week? Um, right, Dave? How many times did I say this year that I didn't go to the ER? Not very many. I was there again last night. And as I'm driving to pick up my youngest to take him to the ER, I had to worship because I'm not going to let my circumstances be bigger than my God. Do I face some challenging things? Yeah, just like everybody else in this world. 
So I want to be honest about the fact that I chase, face challenging things, but I don't want people to miss how big my God is. And I think the author wants us to see this because you bless Pharaoh once. You do this second time, you're either showing off or you're trying to get someone's attention, like maybe your son who's using chariots, maybe you're trying to draw your son back to the family calling. Or maybe God's just trying to highlight that. Jacob's focus is in the wrong place. So Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramesses, as Pharaoh had ordered. Joseph provided his father and his brothers and all his father's household with food according to their little ones. And this is where the story really gets interesting. Now there was no food in the land because the famine was very severe. So that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished because of the famine. So, so Egypt and Canaan. And so everywhere that the Israelites would have gone, if they hadn't gone to Egypt, languished, right? Joseph gathered all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan for the grain, which they bought. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. When the money was all spent in the land of Egypt, in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, give us food for why should we die in your presence? For our money is gone. Then Joseph said, give up your livestock and I'll give you food for your livestock since your money is gone. Uh, everybody in Egypt just became dirt poor because that's all they owned. You have a large farm without any livestock. What good is that? Where are you kids getting milk? Things are bad. When the year was ended, they came to him the next year and said to him, we will not hide from my Lord that our money is all spent and the cattle are my Lord's. There is nothing left for my Lord except our bodies and our lands. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land? Buy us and our land for food. And we and our land will be slaves to Pharaoh. So give us seed that we may live and not die and that the land may not be desolate. So Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh from every Egyptian sold his field because the famine was severe upon them. Thus the land became Pharaoh's. As for the people, he removed them to the cities from one end of Egypt's border to the other. And we could do a whole sermon on that statement right there. Only the land that priests he did not buy for the priests had an allotment from Pharaoh and they lived off the allotment, which Pharaoh gave them. Therefore they did not sell their land. Then Joseph said to the people, behold, I have today bought you 
in your land. Joseph is owning this. This is his deal. This is his work. Now here is seed for you and you may sold the land and the harvest at the harvest. You should give a fifth. You shall give a fifth to Pharaoh and four fifths shall be your own seed for of the field and for your food and for those of your households. And as for food for the little ones. So they said, you have saved our lives. Who saved their lives? Joseph. Let us find favor in the sight of my Lord and we will be Pharaoh's slaves. By the way, uh, we just came, we're, I don't know if we're out of a pandemic, but we're kind of somewhere. The pandemic is not as severe, (laughs) right? Um, Did you know that from mid-March of 2020 to the beginning of 2020, that America's 614 billionaires grew their net worth by a collective $931 billion. They grew their net worth by a collective of $931 billion, nearly $1.5 billion for every billionaire. How did your family fare? How did you do? Bezos nearly doubled his net worth in eight and a half months when you and I couldn't even greet each other. We had to stay home. Now, I'm not against a person being a billionaire. I can preach against someone being a billionaire. Uh, I, I, I do value what Warren Buffett's doing. He's, he's endeavoring to give 99% of his $900 million away. Still leaves him with $9 million. Like, he can, like him and his family could be very comfortable off of that. But should we, as a people, should we ever profit off of the suffering of other people? That just seems wrong, right? Like this is like, compare these stories. This is what Joseph is doing to the people of Egypt. This is what Joseph is doing with God's blessing. Like that should make your stomach turn. Joseph made it a statute concerning the land of Egypt valid to this day that Pharaoh should have the fifth and only land of priests did not become Pharaoh's. This, by the way, should remind you of another system where a certain percentage is is given given to someone. We'll get back to that. We'll get to that. Now, Israel lived in the land of Egypt and Goshen, and they acquired property in it. Oh, so the people of Israel profited from this too. That might be problematic. And were fruitful and became very numerous. That might, that wouldn't cause any problems with generations down the road, right? (laughs) We all lost our land. Your people all gained land 
in our land, that never goes, that never goes poorly. <laughs> that never goes poorly. Jacob lived in the land 17 years. So the length of Jacob's life was 147 years. When the time of Israel, time for Israel to die drew near, he called his son Joseph and said, please, if I have found favor in your sight, place now your hand under my thigh and deal with me in kindness and faithfulness. Uh, You could go back to some old sermons about the thigh promise. We'll just call it that. Um, This is serious stuff. This is, (laughs) please, please, please do not bury me in Egypt. Do not bury me in Egypt. But when I lie down with my fathers, you shall carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burial place. And he said, I will do as you've said. He said, swear to me. So he swore to him. Then Israel bowed in worship at the head of the bed. That is an awful translation. It's either Israel bowed or Israel worshiped. There's one word there. And it can mean bowed and it can mean worshiped. He either bowed to his son, like the prophecy, like the, like the dream said he would, or he worshiped his God. Maybe when he bowed to his son, he was worshiping his God because the God, his God gave the vision. It's one word. Joseph is really good at walking like an Egyptian. It's the title of the sermon, by the way. You could thank, uh, you could thank Logan Daly for that one. Ridge Report said it was going to be titled one way. Uh, but we had to bring the Bengals into this. Sorry. He's so good at walking like an Egyptian, doing business like Egypt. And this is more like the sneaky dealings of, of Laban and Jacob than the sacrificial generosity that we see in uh, Abraham. The sacrificial generosity that God saw when Abraham ran to strangers and made 60 pounds of of bread and a fattened calf for people he'd never met before. At least he didn't know if he had met him before. Absolute strangers. And look at Joseph's solution, by the way. Um, One fifth of the harvest goes to Pharaoh. The land is Pharaoh's. The priests are exempt. And it seems like Joseph is supporting a narrative that Pharaoh is God, because that's how the Egyptians viewed Pharaoh. When they came to him, when the, when the people of Egypt come to Joseph and say, you saved our life. He's a servant of Pharaoh. He didn't correct them. He didn't say, no, the God of the heavens gave me this vision. We're doing this because of the God of the heavens. He seems to support the narrative that God is, that Pharaoh is, is a God. Torah presents a a different solution. Uh, One tenth 
is paid to the temple system, which supports the priests. The land is the people's. And, and if someone becomes enslaved within a 50-year period, when that 50-year period is up, when Jubilee takes place, the land is restored and people's freedom is restored. God has a different solution. And again, it's important for us to note that Israel begs Joseph to not bury him in Egypt. I believe Israel is trying to call us some back to the, the family's calling. Two more scenes that we need to take a look at uh, before we finish here. Um, both have chapter 48. And it starts off with Joseph bringing his sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, to their grandfather for the first time. And his grandfather says, whose children are these? And Joseph said, these are my boys. And he says, I'm going to extend my blessing that would normally go to you. I'm going to bless your boys instead. And so Joseph brings Manasseh and puts him on the right of Jacob and Ephraim on the left. But Joseph, even though he's blind, his eyes are tired like his dad's eyes were tired when his dad gave him the blessing, he crosses his arms and Joseph tries to stop him. And a couple cool things take place in this part of the story. First of all, Jacob says, no, my son, they both will receive a blessing. Remember Esau crying out to his dad going, Dad, don't you have a blessing for me? Don't you have a blessing? Did you run out blessings? Jacob learned from that story. He learned from his father's mistake. He says, no, they will both get a blessing, but the younger will be greater than the elder. They will both become great nations. Many people will come out of them. They will prosper but the first will be last and the last will be first. Jesus likes to say. And again, I think Israel is calling his son back to family values, to, the, to how God wants to establish his kingdom. It's different than the way the world establishes their kingdom. The world wants to dominate people. Our kingdom, the kingdom that we've assented to, is established by serving people. It's by seeking the welfare of the poor, not the attention of the rich. And then we see these verses in Genesis 48, the, the last thing I want to take a look at. Then Israel said to Joseph, behold, I'm about to die, but God will be with you and bring you back to the land of our fathers. One more time, he says, I need you to go back to the land. I need you to go back 
to your calling. Live for the calling of her family. Live that out, son. I give you one portion more than your brothers, which I took from the hand of the Amorite with my sword and my bow. So again, Israel gives another push to Joseph to move back out of Egypt. And he keeps calling his son to remember his God and remember the covenant and remember the relationship that, that was established through, their, through his great-grandfather to live different than the world. Our God has enough blessings to go around is the last message for his son. Our family has this calling to be a blessing to the whole world. Our call originated in Canaan. Get back to your calling son. Son, you look a little too much like Egypt. We're supposed to be here but we're not supposed to adopt their ways. God has called us to live according to his design. And so some implications from this week's story. Number one, the wrong tool is still the wrong tool. Was it wrong for the brothers to sell Joseph into slavery? Absolutely. Why then is he in turn selling an entire nation into slavery? Why is the man that was sold by his brothers into slavery selling an entire nation into slavery? The golden rule says, treat people the same way you want them to treat you for this is the law and the prophets. Like one of the most common narratives in human history is that the, that the oppressed becomes an oppressor. They don't learn. Israel throughout their history, God's going to remind them over and over and over again that you are called to care for the sojourner because you were a sojourner. You are to care for the alien, the orphan and widow because that's your history. And so when we are called out of something, God wants us to do something redemptive with that experience. And Joseph doesn't. Not to this point. God doesn't build his kingdom using Pharaoh's tools. He doesn't build his kingdom on the back of slaves. He sets captives free. He uses generosity. He went to the cross for you and me. And we need to pay attention to how he does what he does and live that out. Because it's so easy for us to, to buy into the narrative of, 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 of how people around us solve problems, how culture solves problems. The way we run our businesses. The way we train up our children. 
how we live out relationships within our families, within our marriages. Those, those experiences, like every one of us has a story that says, oh, that wasn't right. They didn't treat me right. Let's grow from that. Let's learn from that. And, and let's do something different so that the next generation has a different experience than what we had. The wrong tool is still the wrong tool. Number two, you'll always have to work at your spiritual life. You'll always have to work at it. I, I, I'm not saying Joseph is an evil person. I think just Joseph just got carried away. He created a plan that starts unfolding in front of him. He's like, maybe the whole time he's like, oh man, there's a train wreck. How do I stop this train wreck? I've been there. We always have to be growing in our spiritual life. We always have to be going, God, what do you want me to do with this? Like if Joseph would have just said, God, what do you want me to do with this? This is Pharaoh has taken this places I didn't intend. I think about the way uh, addiction works. More often than not, um, people start using alcohol or, 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 or eat food or, or whatever because it, it makes them feel a little bit better. But eventually, addiction, the thing that you try to use to make your life better, it will turn on you. And it will control you. And it will manipulate you. And it will make you do things that you never wanted to do. It will make you do things that you never believed in. And so we have to recognize when things are head in the wrong direction and ask God, what do you want to do with this? This is a mess. He shows up every time we ask him. Shows up every time. In Philippians 2, we're told to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Yeah, you're saved. But are you living redemptively? Or are you letting some things just kind of go? Number three, don't let your blessings become louder than your God. Don't let your blessings become louder than your God. I think of the 10 lepers that Jesus sent. Hey, go and wash and be cleansed. And only one returned. Jesus said, didn't didn't I heal 10? Where are the other nine? It seems like the other nine, they, they got so focused on the fact that they were finally cleansed that they, and, and what a magnificent moment. Like I, I don't think we fully grasped what it meant to be a leper then. I don't think I could emotionally grasp what that was like. I have felt like a leper in certain circumstances, but to have that be my existence nonstop, day after day, year after year, No one can touch me. No one's within 10 feet of me. I don't know what that's like emotionally. I don't know what it's like emotionally to be suddenly be free of that. What a fantastic thing. And one returned to Jesus to worship him, to go, you are God in the flesh. So cool. 
Don't let your blessings become louder than your God. Jesus says, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his own soul? I don't want my blessings to turn into curses for someone else. Whether it's God's blessing in my work, a financial blessing. Uh, if, if God had blessed me with, with great skill, still waiting for that one. Logan's waiting for it too. I see him nodding back there. Amen. Amen. Preach. Um, don't let your blessing become louder than your God. Are you going to be like the one who returned to Jesus to worship him? Or like Joseph who turns the blessing into an opportunity to enslave an entire nation of people? And oh, by the way, would in turn enslave your nation, your people as well. That would become the result ultimately, right? Thanks for listening to the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and share if you enjoyed this message. Mission Ridge is a church focused on relational discipleship and located in Missoula, Montana. If you are in the Missoula area, we would love to have you come say hello. For more information about Mission Ridge, connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, or online at missionridge.church. If you would like to partner with us financially, you can give securely online at missionridge.church/give. We'll catch you on the flip side. Thanks for tuning in.